Gigya, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 112 for Monday, April 24th, 2017. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome. To Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians, weekend warriors, we like to call it, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, Paul Kent. How goes it, Mr. Kent? <laughs> it's going okay, man. Life is, uh, is cooking on. Music is the constant. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, so we're recording this actually a few days ago on Friday uh, just because of some of our crazy scheduling, mostly mine this time. But um, it, it uh, seeing this on the schedule today, I, my entire week, I've had rehearsals every single night uh, for Bitter Pill. And they're about, as I mentioned in the last show, it's like an hour away. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, day job and work and craziness. And then I've got some family members that are traveling completely to the other side of the world that left this morning. So it's just been this mayhem. And I saw this on the schedule and I was like, oh, I got it. That's right. I got to like change my pace and do this show. Yeah. And as soon as we started the intro and I played the intro music, it was like, oh, I'm so glad to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, <that's cool. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we never really acknowledged the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class this oh. year. Holy crap, we didn't. That's right. Kind of an interesting mix of people. That, you know, that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. It, you know, it's like they keep stretching the net out lately. So, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are. It was an interesting concept when it started. My understanding is that it's a highly political thing. and <laughs> Just just a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it's interesting as every year, you know, the arguments that are made – you know, for who should be and who shouldn't be in. And, Keep you know, what's, what's rock and roll? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> wait, wait, is that a yes or is that a no? They should totally be in. They're in. Are they in now? They got wait. in last year. Did I miss that because Rush yeah. was, did, did that just totally blind me? Seriously? Uh, they were in 2016. Really? Oh, yeah. I guess I probably knew that, but, you know, because because uh, uh, Rush was Rush was not last year. Actually, Rush was two years ago, right? But, you know, it's, that's a it's a really good point And it's a funny thing. You know, once you get past the Stones, the Beatles, you know, the the obvious monsters of rock. Right. And then there are bands that have have made an impact in a short amount of time or have had long careers. But I mean, it, it's funny when you kind of think about how you hold these different things up. I mean, the Stones. Those are that's ethereal. They can sell out stadiums and still have impact on their fans. Still, are they doing anything right. new and that's interesting? Right. No, you know. So, so what exactly is that? You know, this far down the line, and so you know, there's like the there's like the the gods. That that would be one category, and then there's people who have made an impact, which is kind of an interesting thing. If you look at the the inductees this year, ELO, which I never would have thought, you know, they they flashed. And they did something interesting, you know, with the orchestral approach to the yeah. light show and that type of stuff. But are they, did they write songs that are timeless and, you know, that any anyone would know? So that, that would be a question mark for me. Similar similar to Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick, and I love Cheap Trick, and we got to meet them. And they, you know, great band, Rick and Robin and Tom have been doing it for so long. And they had definitely, you know, 
they shook the world up when they came live from Budokan was just amazing. Oh, right. Yeah. And they've had, you know, dream police and, and uh, surrender, you know, two great anthems. So maybe, maybe that's it. Did you write an anthem that will live forever? Cheap trick. Definitely. Yes. Joan Baez kind of a, you know, poster child of a certain style of protest music. Yeah. She definitely had an impact. Yeah. I think journey, so. you know, journey, I think is a yes. Journey to me is, you know, that's a huge there was, band. There was a huge staple hit. of rock and roll. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I mean, that's, that's they're uni- like universally a staple of rock and roll. Yep. You can't go anywhere. You put on, don't stop believing anywhere. <laughs> and every, it is a sing along. Now that song is impossible to sing. I, but for, for some reason, it has become a sing-along. Yeah. Yeah. Also, drummers out there, I posted this in our gig gag group. Um, the uh, the drum part for for uh, Don't Stop Believing is like the weirdest thing ever created. And it was created by Steve Smith so that he could have fun without the band realizing that he was doing something weird. So what, what do you mean by that? So um, the whole part is left-hand lead, right? So he's playing the hi-hat with his left hand. For the whole song. Uh, and then he, if the, the, the drum part evolves, right? So it's still this like four on the floor, eighth notes on the hi-hat, basically two and four pulse, but not necessarily on the snare drum, sometimes on the snare drum, but not always. Sometimes it's right. alternated between the toms. And then he started adding in these accents on the bell of the ride symbol in in different spots as each, you know, 16 bar phrase would would evolve to the next one. And so it's this thing. It's really, really hard to play exactly right, because every part is just slightly different from the last. It's and it's and it's weird if you're not used to playing left hand lead on the hi hat. That's a whole different thing anyway. But um, but, you know, he's Steve Smith. So his whole goal was he knew he was in this, you know, pop band, essentially, <laughs> and 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 had to serve the song. But, you know, he's still Steve Smith. He, yeah, he's still Steve Smith. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's a total drum geek. And so Absolutely. he wanted to yeah, create this thing. Yeah. So, anyway. so, you know, Journey is an interesting one for me because um, Journey started out in Northern California, you know, San Francisco Peninsula area. One of the original members of Journey went to the high school that I went to in Palo Alto, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and Journey it was a, was a was legendary. And those first three Journey albums, which were really kind of a prog rocky type of thing, totally you know, prog rock, yeah, in, incredible playing. I mean, if anybody you know, if you can dig those up, I, they're for sale on iTunes. But the first three, the, the original Journey album, the second album, it was fantastic, and then the third album was actually the most aggressive album. So. I, I think, you know, those are my favorite Journey albums. And then then they became, you know, pop sensations with the fourth album and, right. and went on from there. But um, so Journey is, you know, and again, Neil Sean, world class. We have to point out that uh, when we posted the interview that we did with Jan Hammer, Neil Neil liked it. And, oh, and, yeah. Because you know, he, he was referenced in it. And that was kind of cool to see a guitar hero, you know, kind of acknowledging that we're doing our little thing here. Yeah. So anyway, Journey to me is a, is a, is a definitely in. Next one is Pearl Jam. I... We've had these interesting conversations about rock and roll music from the 90s forward and about whether it is eternal music that will last. You know, certainly you don't hear as much of it in the in the cover band circuit. Um, It's not really made for that type of stuff quite as much. Um, But I would say, you know, Pearl Jam is is you don't find it in the GB circuit, I would say. You, right. you you find I mean, I see lots of cover bands, especially around here, playing a lot of that 90s stuff. But but I wouldn't. It's like it's not the dance party music. 
Right. It's not the wedding music. Definitely not. No. Yeah. yeah you can't go out and play a live at a wedding. And uh, I mean, you could maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but, but I love different. Pearl Jam. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah it's a you know, great performance, you know, very true to who they are. You know, Pearl Jam to me is, is, you know, more than Nirvana. Pearl Jam is the, is the poster child mm-hmm. for that, that style of music. So uh, Pearl Jam, uh, you know, that would have gotten my vote. Tupac Shakur. I don't know much about rock rap and hip hop. You know, I, I don't really understand that space very much. Um, obviously it's huge and it's culturally influential. And this is a name of someone who is culturally influential. Totally. Did he create music or was he more a vibe? I, I don't, I don't really understand the music very well. And so I don't understand what makes a rap artist, um, you know, right for the, for the rock and roll hall of fame. Do you? Well, that's yeah. It's an interesting thing to to sort of like you said. It spreads further and further out, and and this is definitely that. It it's uh, you know is there is is it the rock and roll attitude? Is it the danger of rock and roll that that now cultural influence? I would I would think is yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, yeah, All sure. Right. Yeah, cool. And then last is you know the most interesting the one. one. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. So so. You know, Yes is an incredible band. They created some seminal music, not a pop sensation. So you didn't hear Yes on Top 40 radio, really, besides probably Roundabout, maybe when it first started, right? You still hear Roundabout all the time on the radio. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but that's so, it. You know, I mean, you don't even hear, like, all good people you don't hear on the radio. It's just Roundabout. Yeah. Influential band, right? Oh. I mean, of course. I, yeah. Yes. You know, yes. For me growing up, you know, as a, a prog rock child of the eighties, Rush was at the top of the list and yes, was right below him. Huh. And, and, you know, and, and in many ways influenced me uh, m- m- in a more practical way, which I know sounds weird, but, but if you think about it, you know, they had all those great harmonies, right? I mean, like, killer harmonies the way they piece those together All good people yeah well i mean everything even roundabout i mean half the song is sung in harmony right you just don't realize it because it's just it, it's so locked in but um and then and then you know look at an album like 90125 right with with uh leave it and i mean all those hold on those tunes trevor rabin was an awesome singer it still is so you know you you've got all those harmonies and the pop sensibility of yes was always there. You know, John Anderson would write these pretty straight ahead prop tunes and then give them to, you know, Wakeman and, and, and Squire and Bruford and Alan White and, and and of course, Steve Howe. And they would turn them into these really, they would add these intricate events into these tunes. But if you, if you listen, they always kind of revert back at times to just this, you know, pop section and then it goes crazy again and then it's the pop section. So I, you know, they, they're, they're a really interesting band to dissect uh, because they've got all those elements and they fused them together in a really effective way. I, you, I, I, you would have put yes in years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I mean, look at all the people they influenced, right? I mean, Rush is a great example and Rush should have been in a long time ago too. Uh, and I mean, they are now, but, but they should have been in years before, but um, like Getty Lee's favorite band is yes. 
So uh, Rush wouldn't have existed in that <laughs> way without Yes coming first. And so it's weird that Rush got inducted first. And that's why when when I don't know if you've seen the videos, but when Getty and, you know, he and he and Alex uh, inducted him and, and Getty said, you know, we're here to write a terrible wrong. And um, and then, of course, he played with him. Uh, and played roundabout with them, which was pretty cool. You should you should definitely post that video again. I, I posted it originally when when, yeah. when it came out, but that's just kind of a cool thing. That's yeah. That's a, and it, what uh, was even cooler was I, I like the rumors started swirling. I don't know three or four months ahead of time. But and it, it, who else would have been the obvious choice, right? It, of course, I, it's Getty. And Getty came out and said, "It's definitely not me." Alex and I are going to introduce them, but I am not playing with them. I just want to put that rumor to, to rest right now. And then sure enough, he shows up and plays the tune with him. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah you know that I, I, I love the idea of the rock and roll hall of fame, you know, that this is culturally significant stuff that has you know, moved the world. It seems like the process is not a straight line anymore as to, you know, what I makes know. something inductable or not inductable. And well, it's you know, not and, up to the fans. I mean, it, it only is up to the fans in terms of the pressure that the fans put on the rock and roll hall of fame where they, you know, I feel like rush and, and maybe even cheap trick were, you know, the result of that, you know, unending pressure from, you know, the community, like, dude, like this is insane. You want to call yourselves rock and roll. Let's do this. So, yeah, but it's really, you know, if you look at, you know, there's, there's folk people in there and there's, there's rap people. It's really the, the popular music hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, I mean, Rush certainly more popular than most other bands on the planet, but not as popular as the Beatles and the Stones and, and all of that. So, you know, more of a cult kind of thing. And yeah. that's and that's I mean, that's how it goes. It's tough. All right. Yeah. Well, congratulations to everybody who got in and we'll see who gets in next year and we'll, we'll uh, dissect. That yeah. Are well. there are there anybody I haven't? Obviously, I, you know, I paid attention when Rush got in and then and then. This year I paid attention with yes. Obviously I missed last year with cheap trick. I don't like, I just looked at the the roster for last year and it, it's totally new to me. So I clearly didn't pay any attention last year <laughs> or I don't have any recollection of it. Um, but uh, I, you know, I'm trying to think, so I haven't, I haven't been paying attention to the, the politics of it for a while, obviously, but I'm wondering, is there anybody that's not in that should be like, what do those politics? Are they still there or have, have they sort of, you know, with with Russian cheap trick and yes, have they sort of said, okay, let's get this mess out of the way now. Now we can get back to business as usual. Well, I mean, that question is now an open ended question because once someone's in that you wouldn't believe is in, and you, then your mind goes to, well, they're in. Therefore, you know, you know, like uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Deep Purple got in. Yeah. Right. Right. Is Deep Purple that level? Yeah. Great band. Yeah. They are. I think they I think they deserve to be in there. Yeah. I I mean, you know, they've had they have some tunes that I think have stood the test of time. Right? So, that's if is that the you know, is that the uh the 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 barometer? Uh-oh. I think I lost Paul. I think this was too much for him. Let's see if we can uh if we can pause this and I'll go find him. I'll be right back. Okay. I found him. He was actually here the whole time. Uh, we just couldn't hear him due to an audio issue on my end. Anyway, welcome back. So thank you. Um, so I think, I think deep purple. Sure. Right. All right. Well, again, if your criteria is 
Have you written any transcendent music that stands the test of time? Interesting. Right. right. So, so I did, I found a, a, in the, in the interim here, I found a webpage that lists uh, bands that aren't in that people think should be radio heads on the list. Jethro Tull's on the list. I, I don't, I'm not going through everybody. Uh, Willie Nelson, Moody Blues, uh, The Cure, The Pixies, T-Rex, right? And Big Star. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very squishy and subjective with some of those. The Pixies, is that, is that foundational music? I think for that time, yeah. I mean, I, it, I may offend a lot of people. I can't stand the Pixies. And this is one of the few bands where I just, I, I, I didn't like them. I played a bunch of their songs in a band I was in and I still don't like them. And usually that's enough to sway me. Like often 180 degrees, like REM is the perfect example. Hated them, played some of their tunes. Boom. Biggest fan, you know, uh, Pixies didn't work like that. The cure, uh, did work like that. I, but, and they're not in the rock hall of fame. They should be totally. Willie Nelson, you know, that's, yeah. that's fundamental country music, right? Yeah. But not rock. I mean, uh, well, there's yeah. a lot that's not rock, right? I know. That's the thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's craziness. That's fun. You know what? It's fun to debate. It's like, who's yeah. the greatest guitar player of all time? Who's the greatest drummer of all time? I mean, that's actually one of the great things about these things to have the conversation and yeah. people have their favorites and people have their own criteria. No right or wrong. No. Well, no. there's some wrongs out there, but, you know, <laughs> that's different between right and wrong. Oh, here's a good one. 2015, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Is Joan Jett a... She loves rock and roll. <laughs> so, of course, she has to be. <laughs> I don't know. When you set it up like that, man, I just got to swing for the fences. <laughs> Give her a dime and get out of the way. <laughs> get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> right so you know how did joan jett get in before yes that that would be a great question yeah well right that exactly yeah that's a fair question yeah All right. we will never anyway, get the answer we will never get the answer no she knew somebody right right yeah all right so um i got something fun to share with you like, okay. like uh do's and don'ts i got a don't uh-oh right so uh we run a music series yeah here in my town and um Someone posted to the Facebook page of the music series, um, hey, how about our band? We're great. <laughs> right? Okay. This would, this would be a don't, right? That's a, that's a bold proposal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I just want to share that, you know, there are right ways and wrong ways. And so, uh, you know, the response back to these guys were, you know, there's 200 bands this year who thought they were, they should have been in too. If we would have gotten 200 posts like that, it really would have been would have been a little weird. So you should do your homework, you know, figure out what, how you submit. Right. And that, uh, right. So, so, and here's a funny thing. You could do that in a way that is charming and connecting. Charming but, is the key right there. Well, yeah. it is. I mean, you know, again, like many things with music and booking music and getting yourself known, you know, you get that first impression and it locks in. So, you know, if he would have posted, we love music in the park. We come to music in the park. It's awesome. We really hope someday to be a part of this great party you guys throw. That would have been charming. That's bingo bango right there. Yep. Right? Yep. But but like, you know, like another band, every other band, you know, the the Bay Area's premier this or the or the Bay Area's premier that. You know, it's like we've heard it before. If you're so premier, why do you got to beg for a gig this way? Right? right? So <laughs> right. 
Right. So, you know, I think it's um, I think it's a good lesson there that, you know, in all ways and, you know, we had a good, meaningful discussion about whether you should call or whether you should drop by. We, you know, we had this discussion on yeah. our on our community page. And, you know, there was a lot of good opinions about that. A lot of club owners don't like you dropping by. Well, a lot of event operators don't like you pitching and clogging up their page and making you say no to them, you know, in a public forum like that. And so you really got to consider, you know, who the audience is when they see something like that. And so and now actually that post, um, you know, you have the opportunity of it creating a negative impression with some potential fans as well. Like, totally. Anything anything you do publicly. That's right. You got to you got to think about it from every angle. So, you know, you got to take care of your business in a professional way. And, And so having your kit together, having your pitch together, being able to talk about what's different, having your pictures together, having your website together, all that structural fundamental stuff that you need to do, you know, in order to, you know, be different than 90% of the other groups out there that are, that are doing exactly what this guy did. Hey, we're awesome. You want us, right? We spend the time to rehearse and we show up and play the gig that frankly, that's not enough, but right. right? I mean, you know, you you, uh, you had a great term for this kind of stuff. It's the blocking and tackling, right? You, you gotta do all the, all the, all the groundwork so that when you're in a position to throw the hail Mary, your quarterback doesn't get sacked because you have no blockers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, you gotta do that stuff. It's gotta be there so that when people go looking for you, it's, oh, hey, okay, they have their, oh, look, they they really do have their stuff together. Awesome. You know, you get one chance. And if chance. you have your stuff together, you get you get one chance to make that first impression. Yeah. Um, and if you have your stuff together, when you do make a connection with someone, you can have a business-like conversation because all the stuff he's probably going to ask you for and you need, right. you can say here, right? But telling a booker, hey, go to Facebook and check us out. <laughs> like, you do extra work to try and give us a gig. Probably yeah. not going to be in your favor, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So it's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, um, we were talking what about about uh, snare drum sounds recently, right? We were. Yeah, Ted actually sent in a question, and uh, and let me see if I can pull it up here because this is it's always you know it's one of these interesting things. And so uh, Ted writes. He he said, um, "I'm a weekend warrior." But I deliver uh, for FedEx during the day. You guys keep me company during the day. Awesome. Uh, As well as those boring rides home after a gig. Like Dave, I live in the uh, Seacoast, New Hampshire area, and I'm in a classic rock band. Uh, He says, I have a drum question. Actually, his band, sorry, I skipped over the name of your band. That that was rude. The name of your band is The Big Picture. So thanks, Dave. That's cool. Yep. Good name. Uh, It is a good name. He says, uh, I have a drum question for Dave. I'm looking for a good snare sound. Uh, I watch YouTube videos of cover bands. There seems to be a fine line between good and bad snare sounds. He says, my current setup is a Ludwig Super 14 by six and a half with a cheap mic. I'll be buying an SM57 soon. I'm looking for a good fat live snare sound and not that generic tinny amateur sound that a lot of cover drummers get. Our bassist is our sound guy and uh, and he handles all of that. So he says, can you give me any pointers on how to get there? So the first thing I, I want to do is ask you, Paul, what your opinion is of of snare. Like if if, if it, what would your answer to this guy be like? What what do you as a guitar player describe uh-huh. as a good snare sound? 
And do you have any idea as to how to tell a drummer to get there? And it's, I mean, I, I don't expect you necessarily to, but you might. I just, I always, I always look at other musicians when it comes to being subjective about this stuff, because we drummers get too far in our heads sometimes. Oh, the good car. I, Joe and I actually have this conversation quite a bit. So ah, Joe, okay. Joe um, is very picky and particular about his sound and about how he tunes his drums. And, you know, that's a, that's actually part of the answer, right? Like right. how, a, how a whole kit is tuned and the snares relative placement relative to how the whole kit is tuned. But that said, snare is the, you know, if you listen to just about any cover band, someone in a, in a club holding up a camera, what you hear mostly are drums, right? It yeah. kind of dominates the sound of what it is. And, you know, you have that. I think that's what he's referring to is that that kind of thin, tinny sound. Here's the way also, I talk. About also, it. most of the time recorded with a microphone that's like smaller than your fingernail, too. Yeah. So absolutely. bear that in mind. But to be fair, he's right. A lot of even when your ears are in the club, oftentimes the, the snare sound is is amateurish, tinny, whatever, you know, using a lot of terms he used. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, as in my band or you know, just in my ears, actually more interesting. Um, I like a deeper, and the way I say it is, I like it more of a pop kind of a sound than a snap type of kind okay. of sound. Do yeah. those words mean anything to you? Sure. I, I know what you mean when you say that. Yeah. I like a deeper, you know, richer pop of a sound as opposed to, you know, something that sounds like a snap would be would be the the best descriptive yeah. word I could use, which is what which is what I hear mostly in things. Now it's okay. interesting because we played a gig um a couple of weeks ago and uh in soundcheck I was noticing Joe's Joe's snare sounded awesome. Huh. And I said, Oh man, your snare sounds great. <laughs> he just kinda of rolls his eyes and he goes, You know, the room does play quite a bit in, cool. in what's going on here. Quite a bit. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, and cause people are constantly telling him, you know, do this, do that. And he's like, look, I have a great kit. I have a good sounding kit. It sounds different in different places. Now that said, you know, when we get to play on a big stage and mic things and get the benefit of the, of the tonal qualities of the mic and the, and the sound system, that's one type of a thing. When we're in a small club, you know, I don't know that putting a 57 on a, on any, snare drum is going to change you're going to hear in a room the size of most cover band rooms you're going to hear the natural sound of the snare so i don't know that miking is anything but no miking gives it um i find in a small club what you the benefit you get about miking a snare drum is it gives it a little bit of presence in the mains right so that you don't get that it, it helps eliminate that weird uh sound delay that might happen. And so you can depend again, depending on the type of music, but typically for rock and roll, you want a little kick and snare and far more kick than snare in the mains. It's right. just a little bit just to get the timing together because the kick and the snare are so related together that that, that much helps. But yeah, well, that's, that's what the people dancing are, are grabbing on. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's less about sound than it is about just sync, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that that's my my note. Now I, I I've heard great sounding kits. I've you know different woods, you know metal, you know all these types of things. And I told you that the I think Charlie Watts and I love the sound of of uh, Max Weinberg's set. Hmm. Again, th these are in arenas where yeah. you know yeah. th you're not hearing. You're well, you may be hearing their natural drum sound. You may not be. It doesn't matter. You're hearing what what you're supposed to hear. 
That's what right. the sound guy is given to you. So yeah. anyway, I like that kind of richer sound, you know, sharper sounds. And especially in smaller clubs, the sharper sound of a snare, the most thing that you're hearing actually is you're hearing cymbals. So you're hearing that really mm-hmm. high piercing sound. And if, this, if there's nothing tremendously different about the sonic tonality of, of a snare, it just all gets kind of piercing to me. So the, the richer and deeper a sound. And again, I, I think about, I think about, Charlie Watts. I mean, his snare has just got this beautiful, clear, cutting pop to it that um, you can always find the beat. Yeah. So he I think Charlie's playing a maple snare drum um, these days. And and that actually is going to give you maples probably close, maybe close to what you like in a snare drum. I think I know exactly what you like in a snare drum, but but maple will probably get close. If you heard that drum in a small club, I think it would be too out of control for you. Uh, it would be too bombastic and might have too much of that um, th- that that crack to it, the, the, the snap to it. That, that so let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you have bought snares yeah. in your life, do you literally go into a room and line five of them up and just smack them in here and hear what you hear? Well, I used to. And then the Internet happened. And no. And and actually, the, the drum store uh, right near me it has become one of the, the premier uh, Internet based retailers of drums. And it's the drum center of Portsmouth. They literally just moved out of a town called Portsmouth into Rye. But it's right next door and it doesn't matter. It's at drumcenternh.com. When I walked in there to buy a snare drum recently, talked to the owner who I know and or I've gotten to know because I go in there all the time. And uh, and I said, here's what I'm looking for. He said, you know what, man? The best thing to do. And he's got a wall of like 600 snare drums, right? You know, he'd, he'd be happy to sell me any or all of them that day. And he said, your best bets to go home and get online. He says, every single snare drum in here, I've recorded a video of me playing it at three different tunings with very consistent miking. So you can start to get, uh, you know, he said, find a snare drum, you know, use that as your baseline and then kind of go from there. And you'll be able to find it. He says, if you want to just take snare drums off the wall and start hitting them in here, he's like, that's totally fine. But he says, I know you're going to get frustrated doing that before you actually find something that you like. He said, so you're better off, you know, going to the website. And I told him, I said, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I came in here with money burning a hole in my pocket and you told me to leave. (laughs) He said, you'll be back. You know, I know you'll be back. And sure enough, of course I was. And I want to find a snare. Um, So, yes, you kind of have to. You, you have to go through that process and hear them. But there, there are some things you can do when certainly when buying a snare drum, um, you know, there's wood drums can can be a little too uh, ringy for small clubs. I know this sounds counterintuitive when you're when you're looking at it, but a metal drum is probably going to be a little easier to control. Um, and the one he's got, the LM402 is um is a it's a it's it's a it's a good drum and it's got a good like mid-range presence like like what does control mean though uh it, it's too too much too much ring too many overtones uh too much happening with the sound to uh to to make it to to get it, it wrangled in where you'd want it in a club it, it, it and i found this with a lot of wood snare drums uh, including several that i own uh, you have to be very careful with how you hit them because they'll just explode too much. And um, 
so that that that's that's one thing to look for. He's already got that. Um, but even comparing that to like the Black Beauty, which very similar construction, except it's um, it's nickel plated brass. And there's something magic about that combination that makes that Black Beauty the snare drum for rock and roll. And it's weird. I've walked into clubs with like with the Black Beauty and with a, um, uh, you know, like a like a birch snare. And and if it's a club where the sound is, you know, very um, reverb and too much bounce and too much all of that sound guy will always say, oh, don't use the metal drum, use the wood drum. And I'll use the wood drum. And then I'll put the metal drum up and he'll be like, oh, no, that one's better. The, definitely go with the metal. And it, it's because it's that black beauty. I don't know what the magic is in that formula, but that that nickel over brass is uh, is key for for that. And that's the like classic rock and roll snare drum sound. And it, it that have you ever had a have really you ever had a get it. have you ever had a snare drum custom made for you? I did. I have. Yeah, I have an Eames drum custom made uh it's probably 25 years old now 20 years old but that up until probably last year that was my daily driver that was my number one was what is it made of uh birch it's 24 plies of birch so it's a full inch thick uh it's got a really tightly cut bearing edge so that the head sits very very freely on top of the drum and it's a good drum and i can i mean i obviously i played it for decades so uh, always so i know it really really well but it 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 does have that quality of wood where it gets and it and this is birch which is a far more focused wood than maple maple you get that that crack and that that pop and that snap out of whereas as birch you just get a really focused tone but even with that it's it's sometimes just too much so um but there are ways to mitigate that and honestly one of the best ones will cost you no more than $40. Now, it's going to seem crazy to spend $40 on the thing I'm going to tell you to spend $40 on. But uh, the Canopus nickel plated snares. So these are for you non-drummers out there. These are the pieces of the metal wires that go across the bottom of the drum. The quality of those wires can make or break your snare drum sound. And most snare drums come with the crappiest, cheapest quality snares you can get. And they're very easy to replace. In fact, you should replace them every few years or more often, depending on, you know, how, how, uh, how you tune your drum. But using those canopus snares, it's like, it's that same magic mix. And, and maybe it's this nickel plating, right? Maybe there's something. The equivalent of, of, uh, of putting new guitar strings on your guitar, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the heads have a lot to do with it too, but, but yes, this, this, it, it might actually be the equivalent of putting better pickups on your guitar. I mean, it really is this fundamentally different thing because the, the snare of that snare drum, when you say there's too much snap, a lot of what you're, you're talking about, it's either that the drum is tuned higher than you prefer or that you're just hearing too much of that bottom head and the snares interacting with each other. And these nickel plated ones just warm that whole interaction up in a way that, that, that really makes the drum a whole lot easier to, to control and maintain. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have, I have uh, one custom made guitar and you have a custom made drum kit. Yeah. That'd probably be an interesting uh, episode for kind of talk through. Cause you know, it's interesting. You can go out and get really highly high quality custom made stuff. That's 
at about the same price, sometimes even less. A lot less than, sometimes. Than yeah. the kind of custom shop of the big manufacturers, yeah. which is counterintuitive, right? It is counterintuitive. Yeah. I, when I bought my custom drum set, I, you know, I mean, I it, it's it was 20 years ago or something. So the, the prices are It was different. an indulgence. Well, no, but it was cheaper than buying a brand new, you know, Yamaha kit or DW or whatever. And it's, you know, the same quality drums It's yeah. or, or better because you get exactly what you asked for. Now, that's a whole different thing. And that that's probably the conversation we have. Do you know what you want? Because that is a mistake you can make. And that's a permanent one. <laughs> well, permanent until you sell them, I guess. Yeah. So. Hey, I, I did want to talk about one thing that I've ex- been experiencing this week, Paul, and and that is the um, it. Well, it's it's my body. It's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm doing this show, Bitter Pill, different incarnation of it this week, uh, but a lot of the same songs, different set order. And I'm singing. I guess I'm, my, my wife saw it last night. And she said, "Why wow, you're singing more harmonies than you were last time. And I guess that's true. I'm singing different harmonies for sure because there's a, you know, a different array of singers. And so we'd sort of, you know, move things around. But um, but we have this one moment in the show. And actually, there's somebody posted a video. One of the people on stage posted a Facebook live stream of uh, of this one one song called Show Is Over, which starts out. Uh, it's this very anthemic rock tune that goes into this double time thing at the end. And really, I mean, it starts out pretty airy and spacious. And by the end, it's just like full out balls to the wall. And, uh, and then we finish that song and go into a song that is only played on the piano and sung. And all I do is a sing a harmony on this one. And it's this very sweet song, very melodic, very delicate tune. And we finish that show is over song and my heart's going, you know, a mile a minute. And to sing that harmony while I'm trying to catch my breath, it has been an interesting thing to deal with all week. I have one verse where I don't sing. And so all I do is I just sit there and I listen to the song. Because if I think about, uh oh, if my heart rate doesn't slow down, if I get stressed about it, well, that that impedes the process of slowing the heart down. (laughs) So it's been a really interesting thing to like, okay, yep, here I am. It's just that, and it works. I mean, the, the the sort of the juxtaposition of this, you know, crazy number dropping into this thing where it's just one instrument and and a vocal and this very sensitive thing is it it's awesome and it works for the show, but um, but it's a challenge every night. It's interesting so, the weird challenges that you find, you know. And it's like this is this should be easy. I get to not play and just sit and sing. It's great. Except, <laughs> yeah. You got to manage things a little bit differently as you get older and, you know, you, you get, your awareness of your body when you're younger, you can just mm. kind of plow through things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I, that this would have been any easier for me younger because it's, I mean, it's a breathing thing, you know, where I, I need to slow my breath down so that I can sing these harmonies sure. and, and I, yeah, I'm not convinced it would have been easier younger. I don't know. I never tried it. So it's the first time I've ever experienced something like this. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, okay, you know, but, uh, but that's the fun of it. That's, you know, that's finding, the finding these little challenges like, oh crap. I didn't, I didn't think about this. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm just happy that song's over. Cause it's really fast. You know? <laughs> like, oh, oh, <laughs> it lingers. So, you. Yeah. Interesting stuff. You got gigs this weekend. Yeah, I played last night. I got a gig tonight. I got another acoustic gig, and then that, the band is playing uh, at a club date 
uh, tomorrow night. So I oh, got nice. a nice three in a row, which Sweet. is kind of, always kind of fun. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying last week, you, you know, my day job life is getting pretty hectic. And I was worried a little bit that I might have bit off too much. But what I'm really finding is that these getting to my gig and getting into that mode and kind of locking everything else out is so it's even more therapeutic. It was great when I had a lot of time on my hand and I could think about the gig and get excited for the gig. And now I'm kind of like the last couple of weeks, especially has been like, Oh, I got to get there. And it's stressful to get there. But once there and the music starts taking, I mean, we had a rehearsal Tuesday night and even that was incredibly therapeutic. So, you know, it just, I am, I am amazed at at the, the good that this does in my life keeping my head screwed on straight, you know, giving me an opportunity to like isolate, get some creativity out of myself, collaborate with other musicians, you know, another part of that yeah. systemic, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, I do. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it's different than when you had, when I had a lot of time, right. And, you know, which was right. cool. Right. But, but um, I'm still grateful for it every day. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I've got, um, so between now and the the next time we do this, I will finish this run of Bitter Pill because it's just a one weekend run. And then I will have the entirety of Tech Week and another weekend of an entirely different show uh, co- entirely completed before we speak again. And that's First Date, which is happening much closer to the house here, about five minutes away at UNH. So that's far more traditional, uh, you know, Broadway type stuff. But Go get them. Uh, yeah, it should be fun. Keeps it interesting. Uh, it really the trick will be ask me next time how much I remember from bitter pill here. <laughs> and cause that might totally get blocked out. <laughs> hey, you know, I've been, I'm the one who's been dissing on nineties music, but I have to say, as we close today, I do have a couple of nineties band songs that I'm doing acoustically that are working great, that I'm really enjoying. So I'm doing karma police. Oh yeah. Radiohead I'm, also not in the rock and roll hall of fame yet. Yep. Oh, yep. Um, um, me and Simon have done High and Dry, which is a great uh-huh. freaking song. Love it. So that's going really well. Uh, Don't Look Back at Anger and oh, Wonderwall, yeah. of course. You know, doing some Oasis stuff is really great. And then, um, you know, looking at a couple of Foo Fighters things that I can yep. do. But again, uh, it's fun to, to channel those things into the acoustic show. I don't know where they would fit into my band show, you know, the type of dance gigs that we do and that type of thing. But yeah, uh, Wonder, but the Wonderwall songs are great can, songs. can Wonderwall can work. Um, as like the last song of the night for those crazy gigs where you've had everybody up and dancing all night and yeah. you sing Wonderwall and everybody sings it along with you. And Don't Look Back in Anger, frankly, works the same way. Far more people know that song than they than think they know that song. You, you know, you start playing it and everybody sings. On the so course. <laughs> Sally Kent, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oasis. They know how to they knew how to write songs. So. Definitely. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that does have to give that nineties love. You got to give, yeah, man. Yeah, there's some good stuff there for sure. All right, we'll see you. Uh, well, we'll see you on Facebook. Come visit us. Giggappodcast.com slash Facebook will bring you to our uh, working musician support group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. Hey, Paul, always be performing this weekend, man. I heard that somewhere. <laughs>